We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. 97.1 FM Talk. On Demand Audio. Well, we're getting very, very close to a Friday. It is, um, it's not federal law yet, but it is Missouri state law. You have to listen to the Reardon Roundtable, 3 o'clock tomorrow. There's fines involved if you don't do that. Jane will be here. State Rep Donna Berenger, Mike Elam from the St. Charles County Council. Of course, we have Cusimano. Teresenko was traded today from the Blues. He'll have more on that. Paul Hall on entertainment. We're going to do a little uh, preview of the Super Bowl. And Matt Pauley's going to spring training from the uh, Cardinals Radio Network this weekend. So we'll cover all of that and more tomorrow on the show. We have the Speaker of the Missouri House, Dean Plocker, coming up from De Pere in the uh, segment that's coming up a little bit later at 525. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, she might be my favorite reformed liberal. Batya Unger Sargon is with her. She was on Gutfeld last night. I have to say, I loved it. Um, I love that the second gentleman and the first lady got some action. Okay, yes, Starting yes. with that. <laughs> I loved Kirsten Sinema's dress. I love the heckling, and I love the speech. I thought the speech was very Trumpy. I mean, he yeah. spent a lot of time focused on bringing manufacturing back to the United States. Why shouldn't the U.S. be number one in manufacturing? He spent a lot of time on fentanyl. He spent a lot of time talking about issues that were important for President Trump, Social Security. And when he veered off track, there was a lovely Greek chorus booing him and yelling, China, border, you know, to get him back on track. I thought it was great. Democracy. And Bacha is as big of a moment as that was being on Gutfeld. Here you are on the Mark Reardon show back to back. It's kind of an amazing experience, isn't it? How are you this afternoon? Listen, my people have a saying. We say you go up in holiness, you don't go down. So here I am with you, Mark. Thrilled to be here with you. Happy Thursday. I love it. And thank you so much for coming back. We've had some great conversations over the last couple of years. How was the Gutfeld experience, though? It was great. It was great. It was my second time going on. It's a lot of fun. It's a great show. Everybody's super chill and relaxed, and you get to talk about the news in a different kind of a way and with a different vibe. It's, it's just a great experience. Well, the ratings on that show are just amazing. And, you know, most of the media just ignores Gutfeld, and they focus on Colbert and Fallon and, you know, the traditional late-night shows. But what he's been able to do and, and the ratings that they've been able to return late night on Fox is pretty incredible just from a media standpoint. Yeah, 100%. I mean, he's sort of blowing everybody else out of the water, the king of late night. I mean, his ratings, I think, are, you know, close to he can get up to two million, whereas, you know, the, the you know, Fallon and the Jimmies, they're, they're sort of hovering around 700K, yeah. I believe is the number. So, yeah, he's doing something right. Well, Batya is the deputy opinion editor of Newsweek. She's written a book called Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. I refer to you as a reformed liberal. Is that accurate or not? Semi-accurate, maybe? <laughs> 
I'm like, uh, I don't really know what to call myself anymore. I'm a common ground person. So I'm really always looking for ways to find common ground. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> well, no, and, and I, I like your perspectives on things. And I, you don't have to pigeonhole people. Look, I get called a, a rhino, even though I've kind of fought for conservative values my entire career. But if I, if I veer off the Trump train or something like that, right, ooh, I'm a rhino, which is utterly ridiculous. <laughs> but the... Um, you know, the topics, and I, I know I follow you on Twitter, so I see some of the things that, that you're talking about. Let's kind of talk about the State of the Union. You, you are covering all bases, and I do love the fact for people who don't understand the reference at the beginning of the clip that I played, and I was unaware of this until about 24 hours ago. So I talked about the State of the Union yesterday, and then a listener sent me the clip of uh, Jill and the first gentleman um, making out, essentially. What the hell was that all about? For people who haven't seen it, it was a full-on lip kiss, wasn't it? Um, it was a lip kiss, but, you know, I think it's, um, you know, some people, that's how they greet each other. It could have been an accident. You know, I imagine they were both, like, very, yeah, you know, yeah. nervous. The whole country's watching, and, like, do you go in for which side and so forth? And I, it, I to me, it's, it's very likely that it was sort of an accident or, you know, uh, but, but it was really startling, and it sort of set the tone for the whole evening of, like, well, 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 <laughs> what have we here? Well, my Sue Thomas, who is one of my uh, cohorts here on the show, is not here today. But one of the things I said to her yesterday, and I was being very serious, and I don't even think she understood the serious nature of this, is I'm, as a man who has a lot of professional female friends, who, you know, when you go in for that greeting, it is awkward. I'm not, I don't like planting of the kiss and all that. I mean, a, a hug or an embrace, but it does get kind of weird sometimes. Yeah, I mean, a kiss is, is we're not the French, you know, a kiss is. <laughs> An act of eroticism. And but I have to say, I, I really feel like one well, of the things that we don't talk also, about but... enough we, as well, yes, um, is, is just how the Me Too movement has ch- shifted the power dynamic um, in awkward situations like that. Like, it used to be that, like, men pretty much would make that call and you sort of had to go along with it. But now it's like every time you meet a man in a professional setting, you can see the terror on their face yeah. of, like, Oh God, how close is this? Is this awkward? I just want to be normal, but it's like because of all of this Me Too excess, they feel like being just like natural and normal is now like potentially forbidden. What if I get too cool? What if I offend somebody? And then you have situations like this where it just becomes a full-on kiss. <laughs> so you let's let's talk about some of the the nature of the speech. And obviously there was some um, heckling. And I'm not a big fan of the, of the heckling and the liar and all that. However, I'm also not a big fan of the media. And James Carville, I have a bite from him this afternoon. If you know, heard this. But just pointing out the fact that the Republicans were doing this, forgetting that Nancy Pelosi ripped up the State of the Union. Listen to Carville and his hyperbole here. Well, I, you know, I told people I have a clinical PhD in white trashology, and you saw real white trash on display. Hmm. And let me say something about Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene. She dresses like white trash. She really needs a fashion consultant. Could I recommend George Santos? He, he could do a good job of. of dressing up where she doesn't announce her white trash them by her, her own well, clothes. Batya, if if I said that about Nancy Pelosi or a Democrat on my radio show and sir, I'd probably lose my job. It is so unbelievably disgusting. I mean, let's start with the look, I was asking my gay friends all day today, like, isn't that a slur to be like randomly pick you know, George Santos, just because he's gay and be like, he should give her advice. They were like, you know, slow your roll by. Yeah. Like, you know, get off your head. It's not that bad. You know, <laughs> but I thought that was, you know, the casual like homophobia that was kind of gross to me, but also it was so revealing. It was so disgusting, but it was also sort of par for the course. And I thought it was so interesting that he would reveal that elitist disgust 
for working class people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and the people that she represents right after the State of the Union, where President Biden spent the whole State of the Union making a plea to the working class that they should come back to the Democrats, basically by cribbing a lot of Trump's agenda, right? Reshoring manufacturing, social security, fighting fentanyl, all of this stuff, everything except the border, which he can't, Biden can't talk about because, my God, he imported two million people from failed socialist states, right? But, you know, so borrowing Trump's agenda to convince working class Americans, come back to the Democratic Party, we've got your back, we're going to do this stuff too. But then James Carville revealing at the end of the day why working class Americans, by the way, of all races, have abandoned the Democrats because of the disgusting elitism. And at the end of the day, so much of what we call a political divide in America is really about class and about the hatred that educated elites have for the working class. So this was kind of stunning to me today. Uh, and you wrote a book called Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. We would agree wholeheartedly on that. This is Eric Adams, the mayor of New York. There's a hemorrhaging of our Latino community, our AAPI communities that's leaving the tra- traditional Democratic uh, base is because we've allowed the loudest and those who consider themselves to be woke. Some of us never went to sleep. And we hear and speak directly to people. And I think the party is now understanding that we have to speak at those issues that are important. Jobs, public safety, educating our our children, Mm -hmm. good health care, just these common, you know, kitchen table issues that we move away from. Now, Bachi, let me say this of Eric Adams. Every time he says something like that that I like and he makes sense, then he follows it up with uh-huh. something really stupid. So I'm expecting that in the next 24 <laughs> to 48 hours. But he's not wrong about that. And I wonder if you're going to see a little bit more of that. We got a woke mayor here in St. Louis, so I don't expect it in St. Louis. But that's interesting that he pushed back a little bit that way. That is what you just said is so accurate. And I never noticed it before. But you're so right. Like every time, you know, he says something like that, that makes a lot of sense. And you you know, one tweets it out, like, so probably, like, yes, this. The next day he says something, and you're like, oh, yeah, you're like, yeah. Because I've regretted I've, I've backed him on a couple of things, and then he says something, like, I really, did I really back Eric Adams because he right, went the other direction? Right. Uh, <laughs> what, but I, I did think, and, and I don't know if we've reached peak woke. We got an amazing story that broke here in St. Louis. I've been all over it today on the show from uh, Washington University and their medical school and the Transgender Center and this whistleblower who just exposed all this horrific stuff that's been happening, and and we're getting a lot of attention for that. And, and I'm hoping that this is going to be one of those things that opens people's eyes to some of this gender nonsense that's going on out there. Yeah, I think we're in, we're solidly in the woke lash. It was like, you know, the, the whole great awakening started mostly with race. It peaked in 2020 and then it's been sort of coming down. It's become clear how alien this kind of language around race is to actual minorities in America. So then they switch to like the trans issue, right? There's much fewer trans people to speak up and be like, oh, that's actually not how we think about ourselves. They switched all the energy to the trans issue. But, you know, it just doesn't have the same when they try to cobble the civil rights history with, you know, that we have in this in this country, the struggles to secure black Americans equality like that has real moral purchase. You know, Ann Coulter has been saying this for 20 years. It's like, you know, every time you watch a video of hers from 20 years ago, I'm like, my God, she got there 20 years ago. Like, how is it that I'm like thinking I'm like coming up with these things now? But she was always talking about this, how, you know, all of these other issues like women's issues, 
you know, gay issues, trans issues, immigrants' rights, all of this Islamophobia, all of this stuff, they try to use the valor, the real valor of the civil rights struggle for black Americans and superimpose it onto all of these other struggles that, like, some of them have merit, but they just do not have that same legacy. And so it's not as powerful. And I think people are really starting to see that. I mean, God, Mark, those pictures of, you know, children's arms, you know, when they take off, a, you know, half of the skin of the arm to create a penis like that. Yeah, they're just like there are images that you just it's just great that it's coming out. And it's just like, it, you know, normal people look. 64% of Americans believe that transgender people should live in dignity and be protected before the law from discrimination, right? But when you ask them, should transgender uh, women be allowed to play on women's teams, right, like Leah Thomas, the number who say yes drops to 19%. That's where the median American is at. They want everyone to live in dignity. You do your thing. You're an adult. You make your own choices. But hands off the kids. But you, you would sake. think, but based on the, and you know this again because you wrote, based on the, the most of the mainstream media coverage on that particular topic, you think that you would think and assume the numbers are completely the opposite, that only 19% oh, yeah, of people feel totally. like, right? That's, that's totally. the feeling. Yeah, because, because Mark, 100% of the journalists are in that 19%, right? Or not 100%, it's 96% are liberals, right? And less. Right. This is all about class. You go to college, you pick this up. I mean, sorry, excuse me. You pick this stuff up. You know, you go to college and you learn how to talk. Like you learn critical race theory and you learn this whole thing, you know, that, you know, there's no difference between men and women. Uh, Let me. Did you hear the Judy Woodruff cuts today? She sat down with the president. Have you heard any of this? I watched the whole thing. I did. Yes. Okay. so let me play one bite here on 2024 and running. You'd be 82 date of the next election, 86 if you're successful and elected and finish that term. Does it give you any concern? Watch me. (laughs) That's all I can say. I would be completely thoroughly honest with the American people if I thought there was any health problem, anything that would keep me from being able to do the job. And and so uh, we'll see. It sounds like you're running. I've made that decision. That's my intention, I think, but I've made that decision for now, now, Batya, he says, watch me. Well, some of us did. And congratulations to Chuck Schumer. Another, uh, you know, another term as Senate Minority Leader. Ah, okay. Uh, it, it, it gets uncomfortable. What, what do you think happens yeah. here? We're coming on the, uh, the week after the New York Times runs this story about the vice president basically finally admitting that you know, everything else that we've been talking about for the last two years, most of us, that this is true, that the Democrats are in a bit of a panic mode. How does this stuff sort itself out, you know, leading into 2024? Well, it's so funny because he said, watch me, but then he said he hasn't made up his mind yet. I mean, that to me sounded like the closest he's come to saying he's probably not going to run. I mean, that's sort of how I read that. You know, it's so funny. The New York Times doesn't really exist to tell you things. It exists to tell like leftists in good standing when they're allowed to admit the things that they've been like seeing with their own eyes, but afraid to say out loud. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that, that's what the, that's the, the role that it serves. So here, when they turn on Kamala Harris, right. Um, when they turn on Biden, you know, they're, it's, they're signaling to leftists. So it's like, okay, we're doing this like in concert and then the rest of the mainstream media will follow because they're all such cowards. 
Um, I really think that that, I mean, I, when he, when he said that, I thought, oh, wow, he is actually considering not running. I don't know why I had that reaction, but just like watching his face and his expression, that's kind of how that came across to me. Did you see, you know, let's talk about journalism just a little bit as well, because now there was this Washington Post piece, and I can't remember the guy's name. I think it was from the University of Arizona, basically making the case that we don't need objectivity in journalism anymore. We need agenda journalism. That was pretty much the takeaway from that piece that I had. Any thoughts on that? You know what I'm referring to, correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I write about this a lot in Bad News. Um, you know, there, this, there's been this shift in the leftist press, um, Washington Post, um, a lot of people at the New York Times on the opinion side where they sort of have given up on the idea of objectivity and fairness in the media and instead are prioritizing like what they call, you know, quote unquote, moral clarity, meaning you go into a story having already made up your mind and then you basically badger people who you're interviewing, you know, if they don't agree with you and then your headline is if they don't agree with you that that person is racist or homophobic or transphobic or what have you, you know, they're replacing the work of journalism, which is to go out and try to be as fair as possible and learn something about the world with, you know, just lecturing people. And it's just so funny because the younger the journalist is, the more likely they are to see the world that way, meaning the less they know about the world, the dumber they are, the less experience they have, the more right they feel they have to lecture their elders. Like it's, it's really hilarious. And it's, again, it comes back to this class divide when you have a college degree or if you don't have a college degree. And unfortunately, what's really depressing is, you know, in an America in which there was like upward mobility for the working class and, you know, everybody had a fair shot at the American dream, you could have this cast of college educated people who, you know, had knowledge industry jobs and made basically the same amount of money as people without it. And they could just sit there and have their wrong opinions and, and, and it would be fine. The problem is, is that like, thanks to policies started by Democrats, actually, but very much endorsed by Republicans in later years until Donald Trump, um, we, they created an economy that really rewards the college educated who live longer, who are healthier, who are much more likely to be able to uh, buy their own homes and who on average make a million dollars more in their lifetime over the course of their career than people without a college degree. You know, they're sitting pretty as this elite with all of these like horrible, wrong, dumb opinions that don't reflect what anybody thinks. And meanwhile, if you're working class and you have kind of normal opinions that reflect what like 80 percent of Americans believe, you're downwardly mobile. You don't have a say in politics. Your kids are going to be worse off than you. You're not going to be able to buy a home. So it's, there's something extremely grating about the fact that from this position of extreme economic privilege, they sit there and lecture the people whose lives they've made so much worse. It's unbelievable. It really is. Bacha Angar Sargon, again, the uh, the book that she's referring to is, um, I'm going to remember the entire title here, Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. I have to mention this, though, and I'm guessing this is going to mean you're going to visit me in person because I see at the top of your Twitter, you're writing a new book. It's called Unpromised Land, Searching for the American Dream in the Blue Collar Heartland. You know where I live, Batya? I live in the Blue Collar Heartland. Come visit Missouri. I'm going to come visit Missouri and also any of your listeners who wants to talk to me for my book. My DMs are open. My Twitter handle is at Bunger Sargon. Please write to me. I want to hear your story. You're one of my favorites. You know that. Thank you. You're a tremendous guest. Um, again, what a bookend. Gutfeld and Reardon. It really is special. I know you're going to celebrate tonight, <laughs> Bacha. Thank you so much. It's great to have you. Thanks, Mark. All right, take care. Best. See you. Get more at 971talk.com. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.